You're listening to Mammal Watching with Charles Foley and John Hall. You can find other episodes at mammalwatching.com slash podcast. Well, welcome everyone to the Mammal Watching podcast with me, John Hall in New York. And me, Charles Foley in Minneapolis. How are you, John? I am good, Charles. Yeah, I've um, recovered from our, our New Year's festivities in D.C. and more on that later. Um, and like I always do at this time of the year, I've been thinking about you know, species to see for the year and updating my mammal list. And I've been working on a new global mammal checklist, which I will upload uh, in the next few days to the website. So just to let people know that's coming. It may even be there by the time this podcast is uploaded. But it's a bit disappointing for me this year because, um, as always seems to be the case, the number of total number of mammal species has gone up. So at the last count, it was a year ago, 6,387 species on the list. It's now gone up to 6,478. Um, but you think with all these new species, I would, by, by probability alone, gain one or two um, splits in, on my life list. But my list has actually gone down by one. I don't quite understand how that's happened. I was looking through trying to figure that out. Um, I mean, I've gained things like reticulated giraffe, which has now been split. Uh, uh, coppery breast-tailed possum, which is the possum from the African tablelands in Australia. That's now a, a new species. And there's a couple of bats, some common uh, Central and South American bats that have been split. But at the same time, Harvey's diker, um, which you've probably got on your list, Charles, has, has gone. It's now been lumped with the Natal red diker. The mountain water vole in Spain is no more. It's mm -hmm. been lumped with a regular European water vole. The, both uh, the two Idaho ground squirrels, northern and southern, uh, been lumped together into one. I had both of those. Uh, and in the US, the Davis Mountain and the Manzano Mountain Cottontails have both been lumped. So I have lost out, which is a shame. And I have even more species to find than I did a year ago. So it's a bit depressing. Um, but there you go. Um, and the other bit of news, just briefly, in case anyone is listening in South Africa, um, Toma ben Yudo, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, let me know on Facebook, that there is a caracal with cubs hanging out at the Cape Town Botanic Gardens and it's been seen every day for several months, which I think is extraordinary to have a caracal in, the, in an urban botanic gardens. Wonderful, Cape Town really is the place to see, see cool stuff. So if anyone's there, then that will be worth checking out. I think. Cape Town also had a pygmy right whale in the harbor for a few days, a few years ago. So I think it's, it's leading, in my opinion, of the sort of leading city of Leading city with the chance to see the coolest wildlife is Cape Town. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And how are you, Charles? What's happening? Yes. Well, I'm doing very well. And um, today I'm going to do something a little different than usual. So um, what we're going to do is play a recording of a mammal. And we are going to ask our listeners to write in and tell us what they think it might be. And just to give you a warning, it's, it's not actually that easy. Um, and what we will do is on the next podcast, which will be with Vladimir Dinitz, we will bring on in the introduction, the person who made this recording and ask them what the animal was and what the circumstances were that he recorded them in. So if you think you know what it is, you can either uh, put the reply on the website, 
uh, or else you can send us an email or um, a Facebook message. So here is the recording. was that <laughs> like the weirdest combination of sounds i think i've ever heard um i think it's probably we can give people a clue can't we charles i would say it's not a gray squirrel was that too much of a clue do you think? <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if that, i don't believe okay. anyone's gonna get that we'll see I, I, i'm not sure they will either so I, I we will give them the clue that it comes from africa ah okay there you go all right practically giving it away you are, aren't you? Wow. That's a fantastic, fantastic recording. Good. Let's people know. You can, people can also write to mammalwatching at gmail.com. Um, but there's a, there's a number of ways to reach Charles and me, and that's one of them. Um, all right. Well, that's a fun way to start the new year. And as I mentioned earlier, Charles and Lara, his wife and his kids, or with me and my kids in Washington, D.C. for a few days, um, just up to the new year, which was... Um, a lovely, a lovely few days, and so we, we took the we took the opportunity to interview the kids about what it was like to grow up in a mammal watching household. And um, here's what they had to say: We happen to be sitting with our offspring over here. Our offspring, also known as the four luckiest children alive. Exactly. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. They're nodding as we speak. Right. <laughs> no. And, and we thought we thought that this might be an excellent time as a New Year special to interrogate them on what makes it so special to be the son or daughter of a mammal watcher. And I have to admit, John, I have I remember when I first found your website and I went through all of, all of these areas that you've gone to, etc., and thinking, my goodness, this guy has traveled everywhere and seen so many animals. And then I read in your bio that you had children. And I was outraged that you'd been able to do all of this and still have had children. <laughs> I was miles behind you. So um, now we get to talk to those children and see what it was like to be on all these mammal watching trips. Yeah, people often say to me, Charles, they often say, you know, how do I combine children with mammal watching? The two things seem very difficult. My answer is it's easy if you don't want to spend much time with them. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent philosophy. Mm. So here we have, perhaps they can introduce um, themselves. First so, of all, I'm Patrick. So I'm John's son. Uh, I'm now... 21 years old and at university. I'm Elsmere, I'm Charles's daughter and I'm 16. I'm Katie, I'm Jonathan's daughter and I'm 17. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sierra, I'm Charles's youngest daughter and I'm 15. So the first question has to be, um, what was it like growing up with a 
parent who was a, shall we say, an enthusiastic mammal watcher. <laughs> Patrick. It's one of those things that you don't realize is strange or different to other kids until you compare and you talk to other people because at least for me it's like uh, some of the earliest memories I have is just I was sitting in the back of a car going to god knows where on you know nine hour drives through the Australian bush for me that's just uh, that's, that's normal you know this don't, don't other people do this I'd say one of the things I've realized the most is that when I travel uh, tra a traveling is very normal to me and this is something I know a lot of kids can't say and uh, I, I don't see anything that's anything that special in traveling in the sense that I'm so used to it it's just another part of my life um, but also, uh, I have come to really accept that when I go to another country, I am not going to do, I'm not going to have anything in common with other people who have been to that country. Um, you know, people will ask me, oh, you've been to Italy. Did you see Venice? Did you see the so-and-so site? And I was like, no, I sat in a cave looking for bats. Um, and it's also just, you know, growing up around animals, you know, as much as you try, as for example, Katie has tried her hardest to stay away from animals and it's just because it's not the thing she's interested in. You can't help but know four or five times as much as the average as the average kid. And you can't help but have some kind of interest in them just from growing up constantly around and thinking about them. Which is nice for you, Katie, because you don't do very well at most things. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. Um, Elsmere. How about you? Um, I would agree with Patrick in that it gives you a real interest in animals and it allows you to experience animals a lot closer up than most kids. Um, and I feel like even if you're not a huge science person, you still are given an interest in animals, sometimes not the ones that people find cool. <laughs> um, for example, I really like rodents which most people think is quite weird. And I think my friends have gotten tired of hearing rodent facts. <laughs> um, and I think they've also gotten a bit tired of me correcting them <laughs> when they confuse the species. Um, as I got older, I realized that not everyone's dad has a squealing pig or squealing rabbit sound downloaded on their phone. <laughs> um, and not everyone's dad carries around a backpack full of binoculars. <laughs> And that, you know, having a whole extra bag full of batteries and torches is not usually something people bring on the plane when traveling to a different country. Katie, how about you? I mean, about the airplane thing, it's definitely embarrassing when you get pulled over every time you go through security because there were these weird metal contraptions in his bag. And then everyone looks at us like we're terrorists and you have to explain, no, these are mammal traps. Would you ever, because you say this a lot when we're actually on holiday, but would you ever wish that on holidays we would do anything that isn't crawling around bat caves or spending hours in a car with a spotlight out the window? Well, as much as I have enjoyed complaining all my life about how, oh, I wish we could just be normal and go to Disney and go to nice, fancy hotels, every time that we did end up doing those things, I would get quite bored after a few days, and I realised that it was actually quite fun, I have to admit, sadly, to go on these mammal-watching adventures, even though sometimes 
I would get tired during the long walks or I would fall asleep in the back of the car during spotlighting. It was still a really special, cosy thing to be able to do. And it definitely gives you bragging rights with your friends because you can say, oh yes, I've seen lions and elephants in real life and you can tell them that you've seen things like naked mole rats which they've never heard of. Um, and also, I, I was always quite proud to say that oh yes, my father's a tiny bit famous, he's seen loads of mammals and has his own website. So yeah, as much as it, it can seem annoying at times and you wish that you could just be normal, it is definitely a special thing to be able to do, I'd say. And what did your friends think of this? What did they make of you? I think I, I did the most bragging about it when I was young and now I've sort of I don't really mention it anymore. So I think that they didn't really believe me when I was a child. I remember telling my friends um, when I was five or six, maybe, that I'd seen elephants, uh, lions and elephants in real life, and they just didn't believe me. They thought I was lying. I remember that until you came home and you were furious. <laughs> oh, man, doesn't believe me that I said we saw lions. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <livid. laughs> Okay, and so now yeah. as you've grown up, you've, you've learned to basically keep it quiet so yeah. they don't think you're, you're some sort of weirdo. Yeah, these days I just don't really mention it. And, yeah, fair enough. And sometimes they, they sort of say, oh, you seem to have travelled a lot. And I feel like, yeah. And I don't say why. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a dirty secret, I'd say. And you, Sierra? Well, I feel like if you have a memoir to for a parent, I feel like at least one of their children's either going to end up at least somewhat interested in mammals. So it's always fun for me, especially to go out with my dad in Arizona or up north in Minnesota to go look for animals. But as Katie was saying, not many people like would say, oh, instead of going to a theme park, I'm going to go look for one tiny mouse lemur in the middle of Madagascar, but nobody says that. So a lot of people give me strange looks whenever I tell them where I'm going on holiday. But that's all thanks to my dad. Um, I just remembered a very small moment, but I think it really sums up mammal watching um, or having a parent that is a mammal watcher. So I remember um, a couple summers ago, I went to a summer camp and I somehow convinced my dad to come along to this stereotypical American summer camp. Um, and um, we actually didn't see each other very much because we did different activities when we were there, but I remember him going out at night to try and escape the kids that he was supposed to be watching <laughs> and walking around the forest looking for wolves. And I remember him telling me the next day that he did hear wolves. And that was the highlight of the whole week because he got to get away from American kids and heard some wolves. And I feel like that really sums up having a mammal watcher as a parent. And obviously you've traveled to some amazing places and you have seen some amazing things, some amazing mammals. Um, you must all have um, some mammal highlights. So perhaps starting with you, Sierra, um, what are one or two of your, um, the moments, mammal watching moments that you think will really stick with you? Well, we were once in Pangani, which is um, on the coast of Tanzania, which we used to go to every year. And we went snorkeling once and Elsmer and I decided to try scuba diving for the first time and unfortunately I didn't really enjoy it and right as we were underwater um, I started to feel a little bit nervous and a little suffocated by all the water and all the fish around me 
So I decided to go up to the surface, and to be honest, I think it was the best decision I've ever made in my entire life, because as I came up, about a minute later, a huge pot of dolphins came jumping over our boat, and like, like three meters away from us, and they were playing around us for about 20 minutes, and I told my dad as he came up, and then I saw the look of anger and disappointment <laughs> gone on his face as I told him about this, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, um, and yeah, maybe chimpanzee tracking. That was definitely amazing, especially being charged by the alpha male um, and seeing how much my dad loves me because he was standing in between me and the escape route while I was being charged by this giant chimpanzee. And instead of saying, watch out, he sort of pushed me aside to try and grab his binoculars. Which I was very concerned about And uh, earlier you were mentioning that you had seen a lynx up in northern Minnesota and that that was quite a special sighting for you. Well, my dad's always wanted to see a lynx and every time we go on a mammal trip he'll be like oh I'll buy you a hundred euros worth of toys if you can spot me a lynx so it's always our goal <laughs> to see one. And so we were in Minnesota and one of his mammal watching friends I think um, found out that there was a lynx in a forest somewhere nearby where we were and so he'd sort of, he'd got a carcass and he'd put it at the entrance of this forest where he knew there was a lynx. And he'd been sitting in his car for like hours, days. probably days, days, just waiting for this lynx to come out and it wasn't appearing, it wasn't appearing. So we were like, oh, this is interesting. We might as well go check it out. You never know what might happen. So we sort of turned up and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to go get some food for an hour or something. I can't remember exactly why, but he left just for a, a tiny bit and left us to look for this lynx. And 10, minute, uh, 10 minutes after he drives away, this lynx just strolls out and starts eating the carcass. <laughs> and we were like, oh wow, this is amazing. And um, so yeah, we, we got to see it. We got a really good sighting. And then we sort of left, the we left and then told him and he was disgusted, <laughs> rightly so. And then we left to get our plane. And luckily, the man watching friend did manage to see the lynx after that. I dread to think what would have happened to us if we hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> if the situation had been reversed, that would have been the end of that friendship. Right. <laughs> Elsmere. Um, yes, actually, I have a mammal-watching highlight, I would say, which actually happened this summer. So, um, my family was on a trip this summer to uh, France, specifically Paris, and while we were there, we decided that we had to visit the Louvre, as that's where all tourists go. So we went to the Louvre and everyone walks past all the paintings heading straight for the Mona Lisa and we were no exception. So we got into a very, very big room surrounded with amazing artwork and everyone was queuing in a really long line to see this tiny little painting in the back of the room surrounded by three layers of glass. Um, and so we waited in line. And then we noticed that there was a pattern, so everyone would wait in line, get to the Mona Lisa, then turn their back on the painting, take a selfie, and be ushered off by the security. <laughs> so um, we did that and realized it wasn't actually the most interesting attraction. <laughs> so um, the Louvre was closing, so we had to leave, and we exited through the gardens, which was sort of a maze of hedgerows. And as we were walking through, it was getting to be about dusk, and we saw these little things darting among the hedgerows and realized that they were rats. 
and we suddenly got very excited because this was the highlight of our Paris trip. We had found some Parisian rats. Um, and so we sat and watched them for a bit, trying to avoid eye contact with the couples that were lying on the ground making out. Um, and the rats actually passed really close to them, and they did not notice. Um, they were very preoccupied. And so um, while we were standing there watching, I saw a small little rat sort of having a standoff with some of the sparrows for some popcorn that had been dropped. And suddenly, the rat ignored the popcorn and jumped on a sparrow, grabbed it, and tumbled into a bush with it. And all the birds suddenly went quiet, and they flew, about 30 of them, onto the bush where the rat had grabbed the sparrow, killed it, and was starting to eat it. And they all just looked down, just watched it, and they were completely silent. Yeah. And um, that was very fun because I got to see a rat eating a bird in Paris. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm very proud because I lived in Paris for seven years and I didn't go to the Louvre once. Um, and I didn't regret it at all until I heard that story and all of a sudden I've missed out. Because you didn't see that in Ratatouille, did you? Yeah, exactly. So if you'd asked me five minutes ago, I would have said something completely different. But I was just sort of racking my brains for the best story. And I just remembered one that was probably, it's going to make my dad look very bad because now just looking back on it, it was probably quite irresponsible of him. Um, yes, we but need to hear it. Yeah, so when I was, when I was about, about 10, I think, 10, 11, uh, had a big trip to Australia where we sort of saw half of the country. And one of the places we went to was Tasmania. And there was this one night, it's still... Everything was still very, very vivid in my memory, even when it was that long ago. Uh, we stayed in this cabin where you could string up, just on some baling twine, a little chunk of meat, like a, a, beef, ri- a beef rib or something like that. And we just left it outside, and sort of hour later, some Tas- Tasmanian devil turns up and starts chewing on the meat and ripping it to shreds and you're trying to pull this chunk of meat away. But obviously it's stuck on a string, so it just starts eating the meat there. And I'm just there, like, this animal's about half my size. Um, it's sort of, you know, tearing the meat to shreds. And, of course, me being um, the smart young lad I am, I'm like, oh, I want to go out and say hi to this thing. It looks cute. And, of course, my dad, uh, being the responsible father he is, goes, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> so I just open the door, walk out, and then just sort of face off with this Tasmanian devil right next to its food, which is obviously going to be quite territorial over. Um... And I just, all I remember is just looking down at this Tasmanian devil, Tasmanian devil looking up at me, and it just starts barking at me. Um, But I've never heard such a weird bark in my life. It's like a dog that was trying to speak English and failing very badly. It was sort of, it was like a dog imitating its own bark. It was going sort of off, 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 off. And it just sort of eventually was like, obviously I wasn't going to leave. I was just too enthralled by this animal. And it just turned off, walked off, just left. Turned around, slowly walked down the stairs, just left. And then I went back in. About half an hour later, it was back and tearing the meat to bits again. But I just, I was so close to this animal. I could have just reached out and stroked it on its head and it probably would have bitten my hand off. But, you know, it would have been worth it. Um, <laughs> and I suppose there probably have been one or two lowlights mm-hmm. in all of these mammal-watching adventures. Um, Sierra, do you want to tell just us... Disclaimer here, the... the, the... The, we were talking about this earlier. It took, it took all four of the 
the offspring a long time to even think of one story. It but did. Eventually, they've got mm. their brain. I object very strongly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's actually what went down. Sierra, how about you? Well, I remember one of the stories from our mama watching excursions that has probably stuck with me for the longest time in not a very good way was when we were hiking in a jungle in Madagascar to look for some rare type of lemur that whose name I can't even pronounce, probably. Um, we were hiking through the jungle, and it was very thick, very hot, dense. It was just, it wasn't a very fun experience at the time, but I just wanted to go see all the animals. Um, and our tour guide pointed out a little leech on the tree and a few meters into the forest, it was a few minutes in, and I noticed it, I thought at first it was quite cool. It was very small, um, but I didn't know that there was going to be a whole abundance of them. And then a few minutes later, um, I felt something crawling on the back of my neck. And I didn't really want to touch it because it's just growing up in Tanzania, you learn not to kind of hit things that you can't see that are crawling on you. So I had my mom or one, my dad look at it and tell me what it was. And then my mom didn't say anything for a few minutes. And then she <laughs> called over the tour guide and then he pulled it off and then he showed it to me and it was a leech. And at that point, I started to get a little freaked out and I wasn't wasn't having the best best time um, and then I just said you know what, I'm just gonna forget about it and keep moving a few minutes later I kept feeling more things crawling on me and then at that point I had had enough so I completely turned around didn't say anything walked back through the trail we went on went behind a bush stripped off all of my clothes to see if I could find any more leeches and I think I did find quite a few more and then I had my mom coming running back to see where I went. And she saw me naked in the middle of the jungle, <laughs> checking myself for leeches. And then once we determined that there were no more, I put on all my clothes. We walked back and I ran out through the jungle because I, I had had it. And that time I did not want to find any more leeches on myself. Yeah. Can you beat that story? I would say that there have been more lowlights than highlights. A few years ago, we went to Japan during the summer. So it was very hot. This is an important point in this story. And my dad has a very annoying habit of being either extremely optimistic or telling alternative facts, as a certain someone would say. And so he has a habit of underestimating how long or how difficult certain things are going to be. I don't know if he does this deliberately or if he just does it to persuade me to go on certain walks. Anyway, so we were in Japan and he told me, oh yes, so we're just going to go on this one hour flat walk through a forest to a lovely lodge in the mountains. So I want to see some cute little animals, so don't worry, it's going to be very fun. And he knows how much I hate hiking. This is something that has been very important for my whole life. So we, we, we park in this sort of mountain car park. I'm already getting a bit suspicious because I can see hills everywhere since it's a mountain. And I'm like, okay, well, he said it was going to be flat, so I'm just going to trust him for some reason. I still believed he was trustworthy. but It starts off quite badly with a few hills. And I kept saying, this isn't a flat walk. And he says, no, no, we haven't started the walk yet. We're just in the car park. It's fine. Don't worry. So it keeps going for a few minutes, and the hills just keep getting steeper and steeper. So I was getting more and more suspicious. And this went on for quite a long time. Yeah, in my defence, I did look at the map, and it looked like we were just moving between... Yeah, because on Google Maps, you can't see if it goes up or down. Yeah, I so I don't know what map you were looking at. But also everything was in Japanese, so I was just sort of guessed that it was okay. 
So we continued this walk, which eventually turned out to be a four-hour hike up a mountain. And it wasn't even just any old mountain. It was a super steep gravel path. So we were slipping and sliding the whole way up. I really thought that I was going to die every few seconds. And my dad kept trying to pretend, oh, it's going to even out soon. It's going to even out soon. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. It's fine. And we were... He, since he hadn't warned me, I was wearing sort of not even walking shoes, just some random clothes, didn't have a hiking backpack or anything. And we were passing all these people who were all geared up in hiking clothes. They had bottles of water and we couldn't even find any water. We just stopped somewhere and brought some Coke. So that just shows how bad it was. And so he kept saying, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're nearly there. And so, so we arrive at this sort of mountain lodge and I'm completely exhausted and rather irritated at him, to say the least. And it turns out to not be the nice mountain lodge he was promising me, but a sort of shack on top of a mountain with no toilet, just a sort of porta potty outside. Um, the man owning it was very nice, but he didn't speak any English because it was in Japan. So we didn't really know what food he was serving us. And I'm vegetarian, and my dad had claimed to have checked before, but I ended up just having some rice for dinner. And then we had to sleep in those shared rooms with loads and loads of people, so I spent the night with just strangers lying next to us. And to make everything even worse, I fell asleep, and my dad didn't think important to come wake me up when he was seeing the cute, fluffy dormice and everything that we had climbed this entire mountain for. So. Yeah, but I have a very different recollection. I just want to point out to everyone where it is. So it was, I did think it was flat and it was a bit steeper than what I'd imagined, but then I was in Japanese, so I didn't know. Um, Katie walks up that hill wailing like a demented banshee. <laughs> <laughs> and then small children, like four-year-olds, were smiling Japanese. Yes, but they had been past. warned. And Katie was wearing, my legs are literally going to drop off. <laughs> on every step of the way. We get to the top of it, it was longer than I expected, and I was quite tired. Katie's there, my legs are not we're here, Katie. Oh, oh, really? It's phones out, cell phone time. Daddy, can you just take a picture, please? Oh, we entered my head. It's like... Hashtag life begins at the end of your cup. No, <laughs> yes, I know, not yes, that one. <laughs> so, but the most important thing, did you see the mammals you were I did, I there? got three new species oh, of the trip. In that case, species. it was all worth it. Yeah, Casey, you're Yeah, for me. You still have a story, so you can telling all Yeah, I can see why you might have been a little bit aggrieved, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patrick... What about you? You must have some low lights in your many years of traveling with your father. So, um, I was just going to ask Katie if she remembered a very, very specific event that I sort of have locked away in dark recesses of my memory. One of probably the first major mammal trip uh, my entire family went on. Um, and I think my, my dad is sort of snickering, realizing what the story might be. <laughs> Um, so just to set the scene where we've had this lovely family trip through Africa, through the Southern Africa for um, a good week, week and a half, I want to say. Um, so this was in Namibia. Um, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of mammals. We've done a lot of cool things. So we've been chased by a couple ostriches, had a dormouse call into our bed. So Katie, probably the, the most famous event in our family from this trip something our mother didn't hear about until many, many years later, um, was a trip through the desert. Um, 
of I think it was the Skeleton Coast uh, to find. I'm not actually sure what we were looking for Brown at the time. Hyenas. Brown hyenas. Um, so we're driving through with this four-wheel drive in the middle of the desert, dirt road, just emptiness on all sides. You know, if we were by any chance to break down, this would not be the last place on earth you w- you'd want to. Um, and so, lo and behold, we get stuck in the mud. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Katie continue it from here. Well, let's just say that, as you could expect from an African desert, there were definitely lions around. And it was, I think it was early in the morning, and the three of us had snuck out, and my dad hadn't really told our mother where we were going. He was just like, oh, we're just going to go look for something, it's fine. So Patrick and I didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> so we thought it was very funny to be stuck in the middle of nowhere like this. And our father was getting rather annoyed and stressed, as you could imagine. So what did we decide we were going to do? So, you know, we, we didn't really, as Katie said, we didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. And we thought it was absolutely hilarious to watch our dad sort of panic and, you know, let, let the air out of the car wheels, throw stuff out of the back seat. Um, tried pushing the car all on his own while we jumped around in the back seat. And sort of all these more like further and further frantic measures to try and somehow get us out of this mud before we were chewed to death by lions. And um, apparently, and I, I don't actually remember this, but apparently while our dad was d- doing all these different tasks, just trying to save our lives, me and my sister were I jumping from the boot of the car to the back seat and back again, chanting, He's letting out the air! He's letting out the air! He's letting out the air! I think, uh, I think, our, uh, I think our dad can, can sort of still remember the fury and the <laughs> contempt he felt as, as we, 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 we chanted and had fun in the sort of worst possible moment two kids could be enjoying themselves and laughing. To be fair, I had mixed emotions. So at the one point I was, I was getting quite worried. It was stuck in the sand, actually, trying to get us out of this drift. Um, and it wasn't helping you just chanting and laughing. But at the same time, it was great that you weren't stressed like me. It would be much worse if you'd have both been screaming and crying. So I was grateful and not. And it wasn't lions I was worried about. It was to be honest, it was your mum. <laughs> it was getting back before breakfast. Well, edit that bit out. <laughs> Anything worse than lions. It was, the only reason I took you was because it was my turn that morning to look after you. She wanted to lie in. So, well, you're not. I'm still going to go and look for a brown hyena, so you're coming with me. And yeah, it didn't go as a plan. Well, well, when we were in North Dakota once in the Badlands, we were with some of our friends and. We all went out mammal watching at night for a night drive to kind of see what we could find. And we had stopped on the side of the road and we saw something immediately run across it. And so my dad just completely stops the car. All of us didn't know what happened because we didn't see it. He jumps out the car, grabs the only flashlight with him, and then he runs after. And we realized it was a porcupine. So he runs, leaves all four kids barefoot because we didn't expect to get out of the car with no light, nothing to guide us, chasing after him and pitch darkness and then we heard a cry of pain and we had realized and that anguish. my and anguish and we realized my dad had stepped in a hole and had sprained his ankle <laughs> chasing after this porcupine 
So we all ran up to him to check if he was okay, and he just kept hobbling along saying, no, I'm fine, just find the porcupine. <laughs> so we all went chasing after the porcupine to find him. We did, and apparently he was quite confused, probably because of my dad's cries. Yes, I don't think it was screams. I think it was more curses, but anyway, yes. <laughs> no, they were very loud. It's screams. a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so I think perhaps to finish off, what um, we need to ask you is whether you have any advice that you would give to other children of um, mammal watchers? Um, I would say to try and get adopted by someone else. (laughs) (laughs) If you hate it, you're only going to be a child for 18 years and then you can stop. So, you know, at least have faith that your suffering will end at some point. Uh, And, yeah... And also just, you know, it may sound a little patronizing, I guess, but yeah, you you really should appreciate it, if not for the fact that it's unique and it's interesting, but also for the fact that many of these animals might not even be around by the time you grow up and get the means to do this. And, you know, know, sometimes, you know, you're experiencing things you might not even be able to experience in the future and just see parts of the world that might not even be there in the future, so... I think that's really important. I always sort of, I didn't really realize this when I was a kid, but now I'm looking back, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'll ever even be able to see these animals again. And I don't know if this, what the plate, you know, I've come back to these places and they might change completely. And so I just feel very lucky to have seen that, you know, while the time was ripe. Elsmia, go ahead. One benefit of mammal watching is now that I go to boarding school and have experienced boarding school British food, I've realized that staying in some of the most remote, tiny little hotels in the middle of nowhere has prepared me (laughs) for the food. For the disappointment. For the disappointment when the meal... When the meal comes out. (laughs) Not even the worst hotels can beat British (laughs) food. Sierra? I've always noticed that when I'm... Mama watching with my father, especially this past year when we went to Arizona um, looking for skunks or up in Ely looking for wolves and lynx. It's always such a great bonding experience because I'm always quite busy with school and he's always busy with work, so we don't usually get the time to hang out, just the two of us. So I think that if anyone does have mama watching parents, use those opportunities when you travel to spend that time with your parent because you won't get it for much longer. Try and make the most of all of it, even the parts where you'll sometimes feel uncomfortable or scared, because I know that for me, lots of the time I was just wishing that I could go home and lie in my room in my bed. Like, for example, when we were spent a few days in a treehouse in the jungle in Laos, and we were just covered in mud for the whole time, and we had to have cold showers in a sort of open shower, so if someone happened to pass on the zipline, they would just see you shivering naked under this bucket, pouring water on your head. But things like that, even though you might hate it while you're doing it, when you look back, you do realise that it was a really lucky experience to have, because it makes you realise the sort of special things in life that to us seem so normal, but we're really lucky to have, like, just being able to have a hot shower after a weekend like that and to have a nice meal and to lie in a comfortable bed again after sleeping on planks. 
So it does make you realise how lucky you are, so I would say to make the most of that. And, and also, when you're holding the torch, make sure you have a steady hand or you will get your head bitten <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sierra and Elsmere, and Patrick, more or less, gave you so much. Um, no, that was great. Yeah, thank you so much for this. It has been... Got fascinating insight into their little minds. You've been listening to Memo Watcher with Charles Foley and John Hall. You can find other episodes at memowatching.com slash podcast.